Support for this podcast and the following message come from Allianz Travel Insurance. An unexpected medical emergency can cost you. It can cost you even more when you're traveling abroad. Protect your trip at AllianzTravelInsurance.com. Welcome to The Limits. I'm Jay Williams. And I want to take a step back this week to talk about something that is extremely meaningful to me. Mentorship. We talk so much on this show about hustling, focus, all these attributes that define people who are great. But it's so damn easy to forget that it takes an actual village to get there. What makes a good mentor, you ask? I know I wouldn't be here without Coach K, the legendary former head coach of Duke men's basketball. So I wanted to turn to a few of my friends on the pod this year who talked about the mentors that define them. First up, food and design mogul John Gray. His black-owned collective, Ghetto Gastro, brings the Bronx to the world and the world to the Bronx through food pop-ups, merchandise, and partnerships. You see, for John, it's all about community. And here are some of the people who made it work. Virgil Abloh said new spaces for new dialogue and that brands have new types of dialogue with their customers. And, you know, you said something during your TED Talk, and I just want to quote it because I thought it was, it was brilliant about, you know, ghetto gastro and, and what that means. You say you want to locate our people and to indict the systems of neglect that create these conditions. So not only is it the taste of the palate, but it's the experiential education that you're given. I mean, you were even talking about Robert Moses and redlining about the community of the Bronx. So you've been able to take the authenticity of the Bronx, express that through the food, but open dialogue about this this new type of kind of connectivity you have to culture, sharing that it's okay. Like that's, man, like the way you market that through your articulation of where it comes from and what it means to you, John, is it's really impressive. How long did it take for you to kind of orchestrate that? And because I know you felt it, but to properly articulate it. Nah, yeah, it takes community. And like, I think me, like I mentioned earlier, like, I'm not a traditional educated person. Like I learned through experience, right? LOX, like the locks. So learn off experience. <laughs> so for me, like I learned what we were doing by doing it. Like we had the mission, like from day one, we're like, yo, we want to teach people. We want to spread love. We want to like, like just change also health outcomes in our community. Right. But to get the words, it's like having people like Dream Hampton. That's like, nah, this is like what, people that, that are telling me the work that I'm doing. I always knew about Robert Moses I had got a graphic novel about like a mini version of the power broker and my great grandparents. So my grandfather um, had the street named after him in the Bronx. My great grandfather, who I'm named after, Bishop John Arthur Jones. So his house was maybe like if it was 50 feet more to the east, the Cross Bronx Expressway would have knocked it down and it would no longer exist. Mm. Right. So I always like as a, Tyler, as a baby, I always, like, dealt with this. Like, yo, why do they just put this through here like this? Or why are parkways not big enough for buses to drive on? Oh, because you don't want people from neighborhoods that don't have cars to access the beaches in New York City. And right, and these type of things and this type of design, it's not unique to New York. Like, you go to Brazil, you see the favelas. You go to, go to Joburg, you know? You go to Mumbai, like, all different types of quote-unquote slums. So for us, it's like, food is our tool. But I'm sure everybody else in these neighborhoods could find, find their tool, right? And, and just to, I think, just reject and rebel against the system. Yeah, exactly. 
The racism is literally built into the infrastructure and there's a ton of rebellion and education we need in order to combat that. Speaking of Virgil and that necessary disruption, and it's been a while now since we've lost him, but one of the things I love that he always did, he always gave back to his community, right? He was either giving lectures, he was offering advice on his websites. I mean, it just felt like he was always doing things to enhance the way we thought about ourselves and about where we are going. Is that part of your internal mission? Like as you're thriving with your businesses, is it also to educate about where we need to go as people and also how powerful we can actually be if we apply ourselves mentally to what we're trying to accomplish? You took the words out of my mouth. Like the, the business part of it, like that that's like, for me, it's important, like you said, to show what we could do and show our value because, mm-hmm. you know, people respect certain things, right? Like everybody's not going to take the wisdom from the person that might be houseless on skid row, but they might have some gems, right? But if you're doing, if you're, if you're, if you're gaining material success in, in this capitalist society, you know, that we that we exist in, like people respond to that and, and they'll be they'll more be more receptive to the to the gems you drop. And I think Virgil, what he did that was amazing. Yeah, like he open sourced the whole game. Like he shared, he shared the gems. And because me and him ran in the same circles, I didn't appreciate it. And, because because we were so like we we we'll be at the same dinner we'll be at the Serpentine Gallery as like one of five black people in London you know what I'm saying at the at the at the joint so we we will always move in these spaces and exchanging notes but I think like the legacy that he left behind and because black culture is such a visual culture like the the medium of clothing is such an important medium for us for expression right because often if you don't have like a really good house, right? Or you might not have a great car, depending on the city you live in. Cars are also a means of expression. The visual, we express our visual appreciation, like you take it back to Sunday's best, like clothing is a big part of the culture. So for him to be able to impact and to take it to the echelons in which he took it and, and, and bring streetwear, essentially, you know, when Louis Vuitton men's, you look back 10 years, it was all like made to measure um, suits and stuff that they were doing. Mm. To do that is just amazing. But I think for us, it's like what Tupac said, if we don't change the world, it's to inspire the minds that do. So I can only imagine how many people that are like seven years old, eight years old, it's the norm for them to look at that fashion house like Louis Vuitton and see somebody that that was black running it. I think the next step is for it not to be need to be Louis Vuitton for us to own our infrastructure, for us to own our IP, because I think so often what we do is we create a lot of value and we don't capture the value. So I think for me, that's the legacy I want to leave behind. Value creation and value capture. Because even when you think about fine art, like somebody like Kerry, 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 Kerry James Marshall, he might work in a studio on the south side of Chicago, make a painting. He sells mm-hmm. it, he gets paid for it. Maybe let's say he made a hundred. 100, 200 grand for it, which is good money. But then 10 years later, somebody sells it at Sotheby's for 20 million. Gr- granted, usually Puff Diddy bought that painting, so it stayed within the community. But usually those type of stories are somebody else, that, that value captures what's going to send their kids to private schools outside the community. So I think, and you look at the music business, you look at athletics, right? Like we got we to gotta, we gotta capture the value that we, we're creating. You know what I'm saying? One of my all-time favorite lines, value capture in addition to value creation. That's going to stay with me a long time. Thanks, John, for that. Now we turn to former NFL star Deion Sanders, a.k.a. Primetime. Earlier this year, we talked to him about his latest feat, 
trying to change the future of HBCU athletics as head coach of Jackson State University. Dion's worn so many hats at this point, baseball, football, reality TV, and so on. So I had to ask him where that belief in himself comes from. He tells me about the man who taught him to be great on and off the field. You talk about putting your kids on the game. Who put you on game back in the day and how valuable of a lesson was it? I'll tell you, not the game that they put me on, but betting on me. Dick Hauser, man, the late, great Dick Hauser was the manager of the Kansas City Royals. Okay. I was a little hustler, Jake. I lived in the inner city, but where the Kansas City Royals spring train at was probably four or five miles from my house. I could outrun everybody. So I was like seven, six, seven, eight years old. Uh, they hit home runs. I run everybody, get the home run ball, put it in the sock. Okay. Sell the home run balls about $354. I get an autograph. I sell it for $550. Uh, I get a crack bat. I help them pick up the balls out the batting cage. And I was hustling, man. I had a whole little hustle and I got a ball signed by during everybody on the team. I would give it to my teacher. And I, okay, I ain't going to be him because they got home games. So you know that. So, but this is my hustle. I'm hooking you up. So, I, I was all I was a respectable hustler. So I did that as a kid, man. Wouldn't you know it, in Fort Myers, Florida, Jay, I get drafted by who? The Kansas City Royals. Mm-hmm. Now, Dick Hauser is the manager. He wasn't the manager then when I was hustling, but he's the manager now, and he's a Florida State guy. So he gave me a brand new, like, $200 glove back then. A $100 glove is crazy. I'm in the outfield. You can't tell me nothing. Now. I'm really... Jackie Robinson, I'm everything in center field, you know, at my high school and doing my thing. I get drafted. He says, son, I shouldn't be telling you this, but I hear you're a pretty darn good football player. If you're good as they say you are, go to college. You can play baseball there. You can play football there. We're going to draft you again in three years. Mm. If I were you, that's what I would do. That changed my life, man. Mm. What he was telling me was bet on you. Never look back. And I bet on me, and I had a two-way go. The Yankees drafted me, and I didn't even play baseball my junior year. I went and played that whole summer and made about, I think, $250,000, 300000 something like that. Crazy money for a college kid. So now I come back to school as a walk-on because I accepted pro money. So now you can't tell me nothing on campus. I got the car. I got the phone. I ain't talking to nobody, although I'm on the phone. Hmm. I'm fly. I got a neck full of jewelry. You can't question me. I got Louis Vuitton bags. You can't say nothing about nothing because I made this money. So that was probably the first NIL deal. <laughs> you know? And I knew how to handle it. I knew how to make sure I worked my butt off so my teammates never got jealous. I worked my butt off so my teammates never was curious. And I went, man. And then I get drafted by the Dern uh, Falcons. And I'm playing pro baseball. So I got two sports. And I got options. But I would have never had options and endorsements had Dick Hauser confirmed what I was already feeling. So that was the game he put me up on. I would say that's the game. A big reminder to people, who's in your corner matters. Sometimes you just need somebody in your ear to remind you to bet on yourself. After the break, Dapper Dan on the hustlers that defined him. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore. Jump into a new perspective on performance apparel. 
Viore makes products that stand the test of time and hope to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives, empowering your best life in clothing that can be worn for just about any activity from running to yoga. Visit viore.com NPR to receive 20% off your first purchase and enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. Discover the versatility of Viore clothing. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. Support for NPR and the following message come from the Wallace Foundation, working to develop and share practices that can improve learning and enrichment for young people and the vitality of the arts for everyone. Ideas and information at wallacefoundation.org. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. A few months ago, I was at Dapper Dan's magnificent, wait, I learned a new word, atelier in Harlem. I'm so proud of myself. I've never seen anything like it. And it came from a lifetime of hustling and staying true to his artistry. When I asked him about the people that made him who he is, he took it way, way back. I had two heroes, right? One I call the hero from hell, another one I call the hero from heaven. The hero from hell was a guy whose um, name was Joe Jackson. Joe Jackson was the best hustler in Harlem. Everybody respected him. You know, he was like what you hear about Bumpy Johnson, but he was more than Bumpy Johnson to us mm. because um, he was gifted in, in all the different attributes that you need to survive in Harlem. You know, he, he was a pimp. He was a, a con man. He was a dice player. But in all of that, he didn't smoke or drink or nothing. Hmm. So he was my Always hero. Always about his business. Yes. He was just he was just an arch villain of evil. But what, yet and still, that is how he walked the streets. But internally, he was in charge of himself. So that was my, my hero for the streets, if I was to adapt to the street life, you know, which I did early on. And he was the, the model I used. But my other hero was Malcolm. He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. He didn't chase women. He, you know what I mean? He didn't even know he didn't have no money. So Malcolm was my hero. So I had these two heroes, right? You know, Dap, I know you went through some serious challenges when your store got shut down and at several other points of your life. But I'm curious, how have you managed to look ahead and reinvent and get to what's next instead of focusing on what was before? I've always studied. I always wanted to know. I always wanted to know, and I always wanted to know um, what governs how people act, hmm. and why do I act the way I act. So um, I was studying that all the time, and uh, like I tell the young guys today, and I tell young parents today, I say, um, I'm talking to the kids on the corner. Here's an interesting thing, a little sidebar story. You ready for this one? Yeah. What I realize is that. We have to take charge, and we don't know when we're incapable of taking charge. So the young kids in the neighborhood, right, um, I used to say, how can I reach them? So they used to see me run. I used to run six miles every day. So I say, I'm going to try to get them to run with me. So I would pay them to run with me. 
you would pay them to run with you. Yeah. How much you pay them to run? Five dollars to run with me. That's a big deal. Then eight, nine, ten, eleven to run with me, right? Then when you get back, I sit them on my brownstone stoop so that I can talk to them. And I talk to them, right? And so one day I told them, I said, listen, in order for you, I said, you're gonna be a drug dealer, you're gonna do, you know, all kind of criminal stuff. They was jumping up and down. Oh, I ain't, I'm gonna be a lawyer, I'm gonna be a doctor. I'm gonna say, you have to have the proper disposition to be any of those things. And I say, and you're not getting it right now. And I'm going to show you why you're not. You have to be in charge of yourself, right? And I'm going to show you that you're not in charge of yourself. I say, whoever can go the weekend without eating candy gets a free Gucci jacket. You know? I want them to see that they, the whole problem with young people is they don't know they're not in charge of themselves. They think they can do it, but they can't. So they didn't last a whole weekend, you know? The one who got the jacket was, uh, the kid who got the jacket, I didn't catch him. You know, so I couldn't, I couldn't, so I gave, he got the jacket. But I, I tried to do that to young people, show me not to show. And so, I, and I devised this system for him. I said, listen, this is how it's going to happen. This is the way it happened to me. You're going to transgress. You're going to make transgressions. Your first transgression is going to be against yourself. And that's going to be, you're going to smoke a cigarette, you're going to do this, you're going to drink, you're going to throw up. You're going to smoke a cigarette, you're going to choke. Until your body say, well... I better compromise with him. And then your body's going to help you compromise. But you're still going to be in that process of deteriorating your body. I said, that's the first step. The second step is you're going to transgress against your parents because they don't want you doing certain part of behavior and stuff like that. That's going to be the second transgression. The third transgression is going to be with society, and society's not tolerating it. Then you're going to end up incarcerated. So those are the three steps of destruction that I try to explain to young guys. You know I mean? And it always happens that way. First, they do harm to themselves. Then, as a result of that, the family try to try to help them. And then, until they can't tolerate it no more, they got to get them out of their midst, or they're gonna take them down too. And then the third is society. Society's not telling them. And those are the three steps of destruction for them. And I try to explain that to them. I like to give a big shout out and a big thank you to Dapper Dan, Dion Sanders, and John Gray for all their wisdom about mentorship. We wouldn't be here today without these people, and it's on us to pay it forward. We'll be back next week with another episode. As always, remember, stay positive, and let's keep it moving. The Limits is produced by Devin Schwartz, Mano Sundaresan, Max Friedman, and Lena Sunskeri. Video production by Kaz Fantoni, Langston Sessoms, Christina Shaman, Iman Young, and Nick Michael. Our executive producers are Karen Kinney, Marilyn Williams, and Yolanda Sanguen. Our senior VP of programming and audience development is Anya Grumman. Music by Ramteen Arab Louie. Special thanks to Christina Hardy, Rudy Correa, and Charlotte Rica. This message comes from Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like online music and videos, artificial intelligence, electric vehicles, and more. Schwab's research uncovers emerging trends, then their technology curates relevant stocks into over 40 themes to choose from. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Visit schwab.com slash thematic investing. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. 
Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.